Welcome to the Tax Coach, where you receive incredible knowledge for managing both personal and business finances. We normally reserve these strategies for high-ticket tax planning clients. If you're looking to leverage your financial wealth and optimize your tax portfolio, you've come to the right place. Now, here is your host, business advisor and tax accountant of Premier Business Solutions, Jason Smale. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Tax Coach. This morning, we are being joined for another edition of the Small Business Advisor videocast segment, being joined by Douglas J. Radke, president of Carity Hospitality, author, keynote speaker, and brand ambassador. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Doug, this morning, we're looking to touch on a couple of subjects related to the hospitality industry in which you are a thought leader and an expert. We'd like to talk about some of the challenges your industry is currently facing due to this COVID-19 pandemic, the effects that people are feeling, and perhaps some of the opportunities that are going to exist in the future moving forward as people engage a consultant like yourself or as they continue to try and forge forward on their own things we can expect to see as the public maybe as guests um, attending um, these local establishments and i'm hoping we can get into some of the details share some information with the public and uh, give a little bit of a highlight of what you're doing out there in the field to try and help these people survive their small businesses at this time today's uh, first question we have for you doug so we're not going to put you on the spot here right away. Um, Doug is a consultant and he recognized as a thought leader within your industry. Can you tell us about some of the projects you've undertaken to date um, and some of the regions you've worked within? Yeah, for sure. You know, being a, a consultant now for over a decade, I've had the privilege of working all over North America. We're at KRG Hospitality. We actually now have eight regions that we really focus on, which is uh, Eastern Canada, Central Canada, Western Canada, basically all of Canada, in addition to uh, Las Vegas, Nashville, uh, Philadelphia, Orlando, and then starting this year, the Eastern Caribbean, all of which, you know, we have dedicated co-office uh, spaces that we use on a as-needed basis uh, with our different projects that we are going on. Uh, right now, we are currently working with a new bar concept in downtown Nashville and also one in downtown Toronto. Uh, you know, last year we did uh, plans for a 25,000 square foot venue just outside of Philly uh, that is currently going through a very hefty uh, fundraising uh, process. Uh, we also consulted on the bar and restaurant space for a brand new Canadian Legion out in uh, Surrey, BC uh, that will be opening probably in the next 12 to 18 months if there was no further delays uh, due to this COVID-19. And we just finished the plans now for a 90,000 square foot uh, boutique property out in uh, Eastern Ontario. Um, we also redid the kitchen design in a restaurant last year out in uh, Churchill, Manitoba, the, basically the home of polar bears, which was a really cool experience. Um, you know, that's obviously a very small portion of the work that we have done. Uh, we've also worked with a number of venues lately on developing or redeveloping their beverage program in addition to a number of free programs right now and webinars um, that we've put together to help operators navigate uh, these difficult times. Um, you know, there's really a full suite of solutions that we have grown into over the years and that we now offer the, the scope of area that we have covered over the last, let's say 12 months even, uh, specifically in addition to the traveling for speaking engagements that I've been doing has been both you know exciting and humbling. Um, you know, I was supposed to be at 16 trade shows this year. In fact, I was supposed to be in uh, Las Vegas this week and uh, 
I've actually only been to two of those trade shows, um, which were the week before the pandemic hit, actually. And uh, when I was in New York, um, it was around May or March uh, 8th, and they only had about 100 cases. And then 10 days later, that trade show venue, uh, the Javits Center became a makeshift hospital. So it was uh, super crazy. But, you know, these shows are one of my main marketing tools and the essence of my, my speaking career. So I've had to pivot myself, um, doing a lot of online summits, webinars, podcasts. Um, but yeah, like working, working with unique bar concepts, uh, restaurants that are pushing that creativity and guest experience uh, to the next level. And also now hotel and resort type properties has been incredibly rewarding. And I'm thankful for the opportunities and still very much look forward to the future of this industry. That's fantastic, Doug. Um, definitely, as I've been following your journey, it's nothing uh, short of amazing the things you've accomplished to date. And the just the travels and opportunities I think I've been able to see as a friend of yours, see you go on and the, um, the way you've touched uh, people's dreams and helped them with their small business startups. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. I appreciate that. Thank you. Doug, um, now you do, you've touched on your presentation, um, explaining the fact that you do get brought in, you're trusted by existing establishments, even the largest uh, corporations to come in and work with their w w various programs and or concepts that they need to have developed. But your specialty has been for some time now startups within the hospitality industry. If you could share with us a little bit of the challenges you see moving forward with startups and what you think they're going to be facing after we start to see the re release of restrictions starts to happen from the pandemic experience here, COVID-19. And what um, what people within the hospitality industry, if they're still looking at opening restaurants, bars, cafes, hotels, whatever, um, what what type of challenges do you see them facing, maybe even in the midst of the early stages of release of restrictions? Right. Well, it's a great question. And uh, here's the thing. I, I truly believe this industry will not be the same as it was before. Um, let's remember back to when, you know, 9-11 happened in the airline industry and the way we moved through the airport and travel and how all that essentially just changed forever. And, you know, we're now nearly 20 years um, later now, and we are still adhering to those effects of that situation. I think this pandemic is going to really change how people interact with, with and both inside uh, restaurants, uh, bars, hotels, in general moving forward, uh, in addition to so many other industries, including travel. From a startup point of view, you know, sadly, there is going to be a lot of venues when looking uh, at restaurants and bars that will be sitting empty because they went out of business during this pandemic. You know, we're anticipating about 15 to 20 percent have already shuttered their doors. Um, that's both uh, Canada and the U.S., and that's probably going to climb each month. Uh, and when I say that, I really, really hope I'm wrong when I say that. But, you know, first off, I just want to say, you know, I applaud everyone that's fighting for their survival and getting creative and the ones that are still finding ways to also give back to their community uh, or opening their kitchen to provide uh, meals for frontline workers uh, and seniors and other vulnerable people. It's not an easy situation and I applaud everyone who is finding those unique creative ways to stay open right now. But but even offering just takeout only or, you know, now a reduced seating capacity, like what's being recommended by a variety of governments in their reopening phases, it's likely not going to be enough for many, uh, especially if that, that phase continues uh, for another few months. Put those percentages that I mentioned, you know, into perspective, there's about 750,000 restaurants in North America. Um, so with, you know, an anticipated 
15 to 20% closed right now uh, between Canada and the US, that's approximately 150,000 closed uh, restaurants and, and bars right now. So that's going to be a lot of empty real estate. And unfortunately, that's that's the sad reality that we're in right now. Um, but we can't continue down this doom and gloom route. You know, when, And when I say this, it's not to sound like people need to be vultures and take advantage of people and their dreams when they're down, but there will be opportunity for startups again. This industry will prevail and some will come out even stronger. It, only if they push forward now, though. But there will be venues available. There will be opportunity for investors and also new concepts. What those look like, it's probably going to be a little bit different, though. The business model is going to be different. Uh, The revenue and menu mix will be different. The size of kitchen, bars, dining areas will be different. Modern hotels and entertainment venues are going to be different. Um, The design elements are going to change. The materials that we use are going to change. The traditional flow and service sequence that you were accustomed to seeing when entering your favorite restaurant or hotel is likely going to change. You know, change is here, but here's the thing, you know, we can't fear or be scared of change. Uh, We have to adapt to change and look for opportunities. You know, on the restaurant side, the concepts that are going to emerge strong are quick serve restaurants and ones that have adopted multiple revenue streams such as catering, grocery, curbside pickup, takeout, delivery. You know, all those things that consumers have adapted to uh, within the restaurant space and will likely continue to do so moving forward, even post-pandemic. Um, I don't want to get down the rabbit hole of delivery too much here, but brands brands need to embrace a first-party approach um, when it comes to that uh, delivery instead of third-party. Create a, you know, a direct line of communication and service sequence between the customer and brand to regain some control, improve profits. Also use consumer data for future marketing efforts. Uh, You know, restaurants and bars should also band together right now to create regional delivery services um, to essentially share that cost, lower the burden of delivery. And and if you're a consumer listening to this or watching this, you know, please look to support your favorite spots by ordering or booking directly as much as possible. And this can be said for bars, uh, restaurants, even hotel operators, who should actually be promoting direct bookings instead of third parties as well. But um, back to your original question about startups, you know, there's opportunity for investment in the future. Like I said, the truth is many people dislike cooking and and that's not going to change. As humans, we are sociable. Um, We will want to get out and meet with friends again over food and drink. People will want to travel again. And in terms of travel, it will likely be to hotels, properties that are within a driving distance because I think uh, air travel is going to take some time to, to get back and going. It's just how we operate needs to be adjusted. How we communicate and market ourselves with guests needs to be adjusted. Um, so from a startup point of view, planning still holds key to success, in my opinion. However, the same old thinking will result in the same old results. I truly believe that uh, restaurants and bar models specifically should have been much better and will be much better moving forward. Profit margins were so leading into this pandemic and so we must make changes now Uh, we must use this time as a reset if you will for the this new business model you know many operating today hadn't completed the correct methods of planning the the market was oversaturated with restaurants and bars Um, the entry level to start your dream restaurant was actually quite honestly fairly easy to get into so moving forward the fundamentals of completing feasibility studies uh, developing concepts test drawings business plans guest profiles 
uh, guest journey maps, marketing plans, brand guides, you know, brand identity is going to be so critical moving forward now. Financial assessments, uh, contingency plans, all of the important things that should be planned out well before even looking for a location and signing the lease. Um, this is all going to be even much more important moving forward. Uh, and part of me is excited to see this new era and what it's going to look like. Yeah, that's fantastic, Doug. And you and I have talked in the past, at least strongly in somebody onboarding a consultant like yourself in the beginning of doing a startup, especially when there's so much money that needs to be tied into the investment of getting a business off the ground um, in the hospitality industry. Uh, the ability to optimize the sales programs in order to make sure they're maximizing the profit margins, right? That's something you specialize in, something you can really help somebody hit home with in the beginning, but also the engagement of the accountants early on just mapped out and making sure they adhere to them, that there's capital reserves set aside to make sure that you can get through the tough times. Say, um, see in, in our community a lot that that's not necessarily the, the thought process. Um, and maybe part of that has to deal with exactly what we touched on, the razor thin margins because of the saturation of the market. Uh, they didn't feel that they had the opportunity to set it outside enough reserves to make it through a challenging time like this. But hopefully with proper planning in the future, they'll be able to do so. Absolutely. If I can, what I'd like to ask you now is regards to the emerging trends you're seeing evolving in your industry moving forward. You let us give us a little bit of insight on some of the things you've learned, some of the things you've kind of predicted and foreseen coming in the future and what you see maybe promoting right now as, as trends moving into the future with the hospitality industry. Yeah, for sure. You know, further than what I was saying, there's, there's going to be change. Um, there's so much to go over. I could honestly talk about this uh, all day long, um, but I'll try to condense this down to some key points uh, for you. Um, if anyone, you know, wants to talk more deeply afterwards, you know, please feel free to reach out to myself or Jason. But since this pandemic hit, you know, we've been looking at a lot of what this industry is going to look like post-pandemic. It's literally all I've been doing for the last probably eight weeks or so. I don't want to say that we have all of the answers. Um, obviously, we're all going through this together for the very first time, but we have studied uh, footprints, uh, different layouts, uh, operations, guest ex expectations, um, potential experiences. Do I think restaurants and bars will be this bright light, sterile, hospital-looking hospital uh, space with dividers and cubicles to eat at? Uh, no, um, I, at least I sure hope not, um, but there will be there will be some changes. Being transparent about cleaning and sanitization is going to be a prominent thought uh, for a lot of brands moving forward. Um, but one thing that we don't want to do is actually strip away everything from what a restaurant and bar means to us and what mean, what they mean to society. You know, there really needs to be a balance. So what we are telling clients and operators through our media partners right now is to have a post-pandemic action plan with a variety of scenarios ready from seating uh, to room management, staffing, marketing, financials, and also food and beverage programs. Basically a new business plan because it's gonna really be a new uh, business once they get reopened. So from that restaurant and bar side first, looking at the menu, um, food and beverage programs are going to be small moving forward, especially as properties reopen. So a menu of top 10 food and also signature drink items that are the most profitable flavorful and also exciting that repurpose raw, raw ingredients will be key to keeping inventory controlled and also low which will also help with obviously immediate cash flow operators need to truly know their brand what they're known for and also their guest profiles to make this uh, work the best way possible 
And another reason for small menus is also the uh, supply chain. You know, it is really hanging on by a thread in some um, regions. So there's probably going to be some shortages and also some delays. Furthermore, with menus, you know, the shareables that everybody uh, has been navigating towards lately, they're likely going to be coming off the menu, uh, at least for now. And menus themselves are probably going to be disposable or also digital. Um, the ordering process, um, even from tables, should be through mobile devices and also synced with a uh, point of sale system. Because who is actually going to disinfect a menu between each and every customer? It's likely not going to happen. Catering is also going to be big. Um, there is going to be a group of people that are tired of cooking, like I said, but they're going to be also hesitant to visit restaurants. Um, but still maybe want to host some of their close friends and family they haven't seen in, I know, a couple of months. So catering is going to be uh, big. Uh, meal kits, cocktail kits, they're going to continue. And also alcohol delivery um, is likely going to continue in a variety of areas because um, it's going to be really hard for governments to pull back on that. Um, from a staffing point of view, operators are going to gain that upper hand um, before candidates would be in a position to kind of pick and choose uh, where to work after being interviewed by a few different places now with less places opened and a reduced workforce, that's all gonna change. Um, so they will be in a position to now hire an A-team, which is a great thing for operators. Um, furthermore, operators, they need to also gradually bring back their staff. They cannot bring everyone back all at once, uh, which may actually play some havoc with some of the wage uh, subsidy programs that are out there in uh, both Canada and the US. But they need to also improve their onboarding strategies and work on improving their culture right now. That's some things that they could really be working on. They could also consider weekly pay periods versus every other week right now. Um, they also have to provide staff safe working environments. Uh, and there's a good chance that in some markets they're gonna have to do some temperature checks um, to start each shift. We're already seeing that uh, in some markets in the, in the US. So um, they also need to hire guest experience officers, um, especially uh, when the bars start reopening. Um, what happens when people start drinking? They're going to forget some of the social or physical distancing rules. Um, so there needs to be someone around making sure that everyone is feeling comfortable. Um, some guests are going to be ready to party. Some will still want to get out, but keep a distance and, and people will need to respect that. But that's going to, you know, but that can change when those drinks start uh, flowing, right? So there needs to be someone that's dedicated to make sure that guests are comfortable and not feeling a level of fear or anxiety. Um, I could really go on about staffing, but, um, you know, seating and design, um, we are recommending and foreseeing on-premise capacity of only about 25, 30% um, in some markets and concepts uh, that have dine-in. So restaurants and bars will need to reconfigure their waiting areas. They're going to have to figure out how to communicate those wait times, how they use patio and outdoor spaces and also entertainment spaces. Um, they're going to have to really find space to help spread people out. Uh, the long communal tables, um, they're likely going to be uh, removed for the time being and bar stools need to be spaced um, and no longer anchored to the floor um, like they are in some bars. Um, how airflow from air conditioners will need to be analyzed along with uh, what materials are, are used moving forward. Just more space while still providing a level of, quote, energy is going to be key um, and, and very much uh, future designs. However, much of that is obviously going to play not play well with uh, financials, which is why quick serves are going to come out of this even stronger initially. Uh, we are all trained to fit as many people in as possible and turn tables as fast as possible. 
So the business model and revenue mix really needs to change. Um, like I could go on about seating and, and design uh, on a whole other podcast, but um, from a marketing point of view, uh, brands, they're going to need to keep their messaging honest, uh, transparent, and also authentic. They will need to monitor and understand their guest expectations on a daily basis. They will have to understand their guests' level of tolerance. You know, my, a good friend of mine, Mark Gordon, said last, just last week, we have all grown this level of tolerance over the past few weeks, but eventually that's going to start dissipating. So that's like, you know, guests are going to dictate what many of the next moves are uh, over the next few months. You know, trust, um, trusted guest experiences are going to be needed. Cleaning and sanitization will be key to marketing for the next few months, at least. Uh, so what changes in cleaning and guest safety are being implemented right now? Are there hand sanitizer, uh, motion sensors within the washrooms? Who's taking orders, delivering orders, uh, cleaning tables? How many people and touch points are there in that entire service sequence? This all needs to be reviewed over and over and communicated uh, to your guests. Uh, and brands need to build a level of trust like never before. And uh, from an operation side of of things brands should look at uh, online reservation systems allowing guests to pick the tables that they want uh, even for bars you know re reservation software is going to be crucial moving forward and how are bars going to check id um, for entry if the person is wearing a mask what is going to be the protocol for that what happens if they refuse to uh, lift their mask outside waiting to get in uh, when there's people around so what are those protocols um the entire operational sequence needs to be audited and, and training for this new normal is going to be so critical. Uh, and from an independent owner's point of view, reviewing financial data on a daily basis is going to be paramount. Having a good point of sale system with incredible data is going to be important because data is king, just almost as much as cash right now. And then in terms of technology, uh, online ordering, uh, ordering table side, basically a bring your own device program uh, is going to help separate a brand and eliminate some of those touch points. Uh, technology on the inventory side, like my friends at Bar Inventory with keg scales and, and countertop liquor bottle scales that can help you get your inventory done in accurately in just minutes. Um, those are going to be key moving forward and training staff with even virtual reality and augmented reality. Um, you know, this is the future of the industry and this I believe is going to start becoming a little bit more of the, the normal in my opinion. And then finally, my thoughts on, uh, on hotel operations, uh, obviously cleanliness is going to be big, but uh, less, less touch points uh, within the room by using more sensors and more simplistic design elements. I just seen a uh, hotel out of Vegas where before I had artwork and nice colorful uh, cushions and, and other things throughout the room. Um, and now there's a new photo of the exact same room. All the artwork is gone and the bed is made up with just basic uh, white sheets. So um, a lot of change is going to be there as well. Um, but there will be a use of technology within the room too. And, and that can be also easily cleaned and sanitized. So, you know, when we're thinking technology, I think the entire hotel experience can be digital and mobile uh, moving forward from all the way from booking um, the hotel to checking in, selecting your room, uh, opening the door, ordering food and beverage, uh, booking local tourism uh, hotspots, uh, asking for housekeeping or even just notifying housekeeping that you're, you're out for the day. And then also checking out that entire sequence can be done um, through a mobile device um, and through other technologies. So more spacious areas of the hotel um, is going to be um, 
change as well. So instead of, you know, 200 square foot fitness rooms, we're now seeing 800 plus square foot fitness rooms, um, just less crowded spaces. Uh, you know, hotel brands are really going to be promoting that health is wealth uh, mindset moving forward and, and hybrid spaces in terms of uh, hotels and a mix of accommodations, food and beverage, wellness experiences, personalized group and based uh, amenities. Like we used to see hotels that were 90% hotel rooms. And now we're seeing some that are like 20% hotel rooms, 80% other amenities with personalized experience. So that's going to be, you know, the future of the hotel uh, landscape moving forward, in my opinion. I know I just gave you a ton of, ton of thoughts. I know I, I think you had only wanted uh, one or two, but uh, hopefully that was good. Um, but honestly, that was just, you know, scraping the surface of what this future holds um, for this industry, in my opinion. Now, if I could ask you another question here, Doug, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. If you were to say there was one key nugget that's on your mind right now, as far as embracing the change that's happening within the hospitality industry, you've laid out a lot in your last answer. If there was one that you really said, this is the one that it resonates with you the absolute most, you think is an absolute critical must for people to do moving forward, their plan is to get involved in the hospitality industry and open their own business. What would that be? You know, well, first off, you know, everything I said so far, I hope doesn't sound like uh, doomsday. You know, it's tough and scary out there. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm nearly sick to my stomach when I see story after story of small businesses closing. But it is our harsh reality that we're in right now. Uh, and people, and when I say that, I mean consumers will want to get out again. They're itching to get out. Uh, but I think it will. it's going to be a slow start back to any sort of normal capacity. Um, so here's a quote that I've been saying to some people over the past six to eight weeks is you can't sit around waiting for something to happen or the dark days to just disappear. Um, you need to take action now, start planning now. Um, the industry is about to be changed by those going after it and those sitting around waiting or just watching TV all day. Look at what happened after previous major changes. For example, look back during that uh, 08, 09 economic challenges that we had, uh, look at the companies and pivot moves that we see now that launched then. Look at Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, uh, Uber, Slack. Um, you know, obviously these are all tech companies, but the underlying message is don't let these challenges hold you down. You need to think opportunity, think big, think solutions, and adapt to change. It's a great answer. Uh, Doug, I've come to the end of the segment where I'm planning to ask, uh, ask you questions, putting you on the hot seat, which you did wonderfully, actually. Thank you very much. Um, but part of the segment that we move into with the tax coach and the small, the small business advisor program segment is the ability for the guests to actually ask questions of me as the tax consultant. Um, so if you would have uh, any questions you want to bring forward this morning, you would like to ask me that you think might help people working within your industry the floor is yours feel free to ask me and i will do my best to get give you an answer sure yeah i think this is a great aspect of the show that you're putting on here i think it's a nice little twist one of the questions i get asked quite a bit is what is the deduction that is available for staff uh, related meals uh, do staff need to be taxed as a benefit part of their of their wages no, so actually, Doug, it's a good question you're asking. With regards to employer staff meals, uh, there is not an employee benefit that's triggered in this sense, um, so long as two conditions are met within regards to the Income Tax Act. Uh, one is that uh, the employee is provided the meal while they're working on site for the employer. 
and that the meal is considered a benefit to the employer. Now, to expand on that, uh, so people understand a little clearer what, what they're trying to achieve here is, as you know, in the restaurant bar industry, you know, staff don't always have set schedules for breaks. They take breaks when there is a downtime within the business and there's availability to do so. Um, however, things can change on the fly instantaneously. And you can release some staff from the kitchen to go take a break because the floor is starting to dry up and there isn't a lot of new customers coming in the door. Everyone's been seated and they're getting, they've got their meals. So you think it's time to give them a break. Unfortunately, what happens is there's a whole new wave of customers come through the door, almost seems like all at one time. And now you need to rush them back to the kitchen in order to, um, to get them back to work, to make sure these people are serviced within a reasonable time. Now, the provision within the Income Tax Act states that if you as an owner give your employee a meal while they're working on site, you do so as to the benefit of yourself because it's one way in which you can encourage them not to leave the work site to go somewhere else for lunch where you don't have that ability to call them back or on their break, don't have the ability to call them back to the floor to work and then release them at a later date to finish their break when things slow down again. And as such, the employer is allowed to receive 100% deduction for income tax purposes uh, for the expense of the meal that they've given to the staff member. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, pretty good answer for that. Um, I'll definitely make sure we pass that along. One of the other questions, especially around startups, I get asked almost on every single project, are there any tax saving strategies during the startup phase that uh, you could recommend? Yeah, so... I think when it comes to the hospitality industry, the biggest consideration people need to make when making investments in their startup comes down to a thing called capital capital cost allowance or depreciation. Now, if you're flush with cash, uh, maybe some people are thinking they want to go out and they want to invest all the cash they've got available into paying for equipment and or upgrades within the establishment to make sure that they're not being burdened with loan repayments or finance charges on the back end. However, I would normally discourage that because there may be more beneficial things to um, divert some of that cash towards. When it comes to the purchase of equipment or tables or things in the front of the house that maybe like the bar area or the cafe, if you're um, running a cafe or have a cafe component within your establishment, my recommendation is to look at one of two, which is either to lease the equipment or or take financing on the equipment. Now, it's not with the intention of trying to straddle you with debt, but it has to deal with how the depreciation of equipment works as well as the cash flow outlook on the situation. So um, when it comes to purchasing equipment, there is a benefit in the sense that the HST that's charged on the equipment charges is 100% accessible to you through what's called an input tax credit. So by making sales, my sales usually have or will normally have an HST component on the sales. Um, I have the ability through purchasing equipment and or purchasing cost of goods within my establishment to retrieve what's called input tax credits, which can be applied against that amount, therefore allowing me to keep more of the HST that I charged on sales, which maybe I can dispense into other operating areas that I need to take care of within my business. So. When you purchase something on financing, you're gonna go through what's called a CCA or a depreciation. Depending on the class of depreciation, it could take three, maybe five years to depreciate that equipment. But the HST component of the purchase 
is accessible to you as an input tax credit in the first year. Now, the flip side to that is to evaluate the type of model of business that you're going to be dealing in because capital cost allowance isn't applied to uh, equipment that is leased. You get 100% of the lease uh, charges as a deduction. You do not get 100% of the HST in the first year. You get 100% of the HST uh, applied based on the payment schedule that you're basically making. So it's the HST is amortized over the period of the financing or the leasing in this situation. But in doing so, consideration has to be made for the fact that if you're a high volume business, right, maybe after the first six months, some of the equipment's going to start to break down because maybe in your honeymoon phase, you're opening doors, you get slammed with work, right, which is a good thing. But at the same time, that equipment's taking a beating and you're going to need to do major repairs maybe with as soon as six months after you've opened the doors um, on the establishment. Do you want to pay for that out of pocket, which is what's going to most likely have to happen if you pay cash or you finance the equipment, right? Um, alternatively, through a lease, you probably have greater provisions for maintenance and repairs to be done on the equipment, if not completely free at a discounted rate, right? So those two options need to be weighed. Um, and it really depends on the model of business that you're operating within. Um, you mentioned previously like a quick service restaurant. They may be such a high volume business that they want the protection of the lease program where they know their equipment's going to be able to be maintained uh, by a service provider or vendor six months, a year into the situation. And they don't want to have to pay for a thousand dollar or $2,000 repair on a piece of equipment that may be vital to their operations. Fantastic. So maybe just one more question. What are best practices to reduce the risk of an audit? Be prepared um, for an audit with, uh, with any business or a hospitality business. Absolutely. So obviously the key is transparency and being honest. Uh, but most importantly is I find that people rely too much on external service providers from the standpoint of backing up the data. My recommendation is that you, you have some form of a cloud-based system in which you can back up records of your receipts or your invoices that are coming into you, scan them in the office, maybe weekly or bi-weekly or however you're doing it. Make sure you have that stored locally as well as on a cloud system, backed up external to the site, just because you know you may take your stuff to a service provider and you may be trusting in them to make sure that that information is being scanned and it's being backed up and it's available for defense if an audit was to arise later date. And unfortunately, as I'm finding, that's not the case in all accounting office responsibility to maintain those records for up to seven years. Okay, so an easy way to do that is to convert them to a digital to digital scan and back them up both locally on your local hard drive as well as in a cloud system in which you can access it offsite if you ever needed to. That's definitely one way. Uh, two is just to make sure that, you know, we all like to try and push the boundaries. You know what I mean? Um, we like to try and, you know, you'll come out a winner in the end anyways, right? The series likely going to ask you questions somewhere along the lines of you owning a business at some point in time. Um, but if you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's and you're backing up your data and making sure you have proof of why you did what you did, um, why you made the declaration for deductions that you did, then you should be fine. One, one, one thing I could share with you maybe, there's two program accounts that are the most audited of all the businesses and, and you touch on them a lot with the hospitality industry. The two accounts that are audited the most are your HST program accounts and your payroll program accounts. Okay, it's not so that you don't get audited on other, other accounts, but those two are the two that will get hit the hardest. Right. So those are the two you want to make sure you keep things as clean and transparent as absolutely possible. That's it. Thanks for that.
Okay, so we want to thank you for joining us on the Tax Coach today, Doug. Uh, for our followers online, we just want to let you know that you can find us online on Facebook at the Tax Coach, as well as on Instagram at the Tax Coach. We will soon be having our podcast segments uploaded to uh, Spotify podcasting platform. Thank you very much for joining us today.